Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We help organizations all across the USA streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. We've helped hundreds of companies, thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right, too. Today, we're going to be implementing, we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, Jacqueline Troop Robinson. Did I get that name right? Jacqueline Troop Robinson? That is correct. Awesome. And she is the founder and CEO of Spark Engagement. Uh, Spark Engagement is a global analytics company in human resources. They focus on employee engagement and passion. So we're going to be talking all about that today. And we can't wait. Before we do, I want to give you a quick reminder to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher of your choice, whether that's iTunes or Google Play. Check us out on our social media. We'll have links uh, to Jacqueline's social media on the website at peopleprocesses.com. And we can't wait to see you on there. So Jacqueline, here we are. Uh, got the interview together. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. I'm excited to have you here today. Now, I always ask this question because we're in kind of an interesting field, this HR world of ours. Not many little girls and boys dress up as HR people, as, as children. So I have to know, how did you wind up where you are? How'd you get to, to running a company that's focusing on this analytics and engagement uh, for your clients? Well, you're exactly right. It is not what I thought I would be doing when I started to get my master's in English literature. <laughs> but right. yep, yep. <laughs> however, interestingly, uh, I ended up working for a very, very large corporation in my mid-20s, and I had absolutely no HR background, and yet I found I just gravitated toward it. So I think because I was given a fairly senior position at a very young age, I didn't have any baggage. So mm -hmm. I really had to rely on the people who were reporting to me to do their jobs, to do it well. I could not give them advice from a technical point of view, um, only in one small facet of what we were doing, and they had the expertise elsewhere. So it really led me to nurturing the relationships and ensuring that I removed obstacles for them and to really enable them to do their job to the best of their ability. And in seeing the magic of that is what started to lead me to look more into formal HR processes and education. And so I really went from being a senior manager in a field operations into a head office position in human resources. Mm -hmm. So it really just naturally evolved. That's really cool. You know, a lot of people wind up in HR one way or the other, and it's so fun to find, to kind of see the the, the through lines. And it, I've heard that many times that the reason we're here is because we were put in a position where you were forced to realize that your people are the most important thing. It's not about how much you personally know skilled wise, but to really grow an organization, it's about the quality and the talent and the, the abilities and, and passion of the people you bring on. It makes it. Yeah, so it, it does, you know, and it's just so interesting because really I was recruited because the manager felt I would learn quickly and I would have mm -hmm. a different perspective, but I really didn't have the formal training. And, and it's so funny when I think about it, I just kept listening to my parents' voices and saying, you know, trust people, just trust the people you're with. And I let that guide my decision-making. And it's really quite amazing to see how 
that mantra has just kind of evolved into this whole employee engagement business and really looking at passion at work and just how much those two ideas connect. Really a world-class career. I mean, you have clients, uh, not just in North America, but I mean, in Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, Australia, but all over the world. Yes. And do you get to travel to meet with them? Are you, are you out there or are you more a, a remote person? No, I travel. <laughs> oh, good for you. Well, yeah. now that you're you're here, kind of you're at the, you're at a maybe not the top of your game yet, but a really high point. And a lot of our listeners, especially those younger HR people out there who are trying to grow a career, they um, they they're looking at you and going, "Man, I want to I want to do that. That sounds outstanding." But rather than focus on how cool things are now. Uh, I think they can learn the most from hearing about our hardest times. So I really want you to tell us a story to take us back to in the journey of your entrepreneurial career, you run your own company or being an HR person in a larger organization. What do you think your lowest, hardest point was, your biggest failure? uh, and, And what did you learn from it? Oh, two things come to mind, actually. One, when I was a corporate employee and one as an entrepreneur. It's, so it's quite interesting that both of those sort of emerged simultaneously when you asked that question. I think probably speaking of the corporate career might be most relevant when you're thinking of younger listeners, people who are starting their careers. I I rose very quickly through the corporation uh, in which I'd been hired in my early 20s, mid-20s. And I had many, many ideas of what I wanted to do. And I had a lot of aspirations. And I loved my team. I I really was sort of a natural born leader with people who reported to me. And, you know, we were just kicking it. Like we were having this amazing time. And getting a ton of support until we didn't. Mm. And it was really quite stunning for all of us. It was just like, yeah, but we're, you know, we're hitting all our targets. We're making all these changes. It's just this like amazing time. And the support just seemed to all of a sudden go away. And I had to really sit back and look at that and think, what has happened? Our feedback was amazing. And you know what? It took me a minute to think about what really happened there. And when I had the insight, it hit me like really like a ton of bricks. And that was that we were so focused on what we were all about, that we were not paying attention to our environment, Mm. uh, to peer groups, to people in other departments. And you know, really, probably just a little bit too arrogant and just not nurturing the relationships we needed across the organization to really sustain our success. And it was a hard road back up. I mean, we did it. We did it. But I'll tell you, it's so easy to become very focused on what you want, what your team's doing, even what your clients want, which sounds so great. But if you're not paying attention to your entire landscape, you can set yourself up. Your your success can actually hurt you if you aren't nurturing those broad relationships and networks. Okay. Well, I think that's an interesting idea. Now, I think a cynical listener would say, so what you're saying is we need to play politics too while we're doing an amazing job. Is that is that part of it? Or is it that you also need to 
just have a broader focus? Or how would you how would you respond to something like that? Oh, that's a really good question because I actually don't mean politics at all. But <laughs> but I can completely see that question. And 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 sometimes I think also. Um, I guess it depends on what we mean by playing politics, but I think what I was really talking about and the lesson we really learned is how to be inclusive, you know, how to bring people along on our journey, how to stay open to others' ideas and other ways of doing things, how to see how we can connect and collaborate with others instead of sort of staying in our silo and just being, um, very focused on our own internal needs. I think it's very easy to slip into that, especially when you're passionate. I think in some ways it's the downside of passion. You mm-hmm. know, you have to actually make sure that others are with you on the journey in an authentic way, but that they understand what you're up to and they want to support you and you want to look for ways of supporting them. So that was really more what I was talking about. Yes. And whether you're talking about inside an organization, uh, a larger organization with multiple silos and departments that you need to uh, reach out to and make sure you're you're all in line. Or even from an entrepreneurial perspective, I see this a lot in clients sometimes. You know, there's a there's a, a focus thing, a passion thing, as you mentioned, uh, for entrepreneurs where you're building your company and it's like, do your thing. We talk about shiny object syndrome moving from thing, you know, uh, whatever attracts you that day and how it can totally destroy a business. But there's a flip side to that. Um, some of the greatest growth connections, opportunities I've ever gotten uh, have been because our business was was working hard on its thing. And at the same time, we managed to help out a client or even a person who was not a good client uh, or not a client at all with something outside of the really our mission. And it was like, you know what? We have a little extra time. Let's Let's help them do this thing. And those have turned into amazing long-term relationships and opportunities. So keeping an eye out for that just outside your direct focus uh, ability to help others really can pay off. And I think that applies whether you're internal or external. I think what you're saying is 100% true. And it's actually why I have clients around the world in, in, in so many interesting ways you can help people and it doesn't have to be like the new shiny object. It can be, of course, you can distract you. Yes. But I think there are often very many simple opportunities to really support someone else's aspirations. And, and in that gift, the reciprocity that comes from that, it's not your reason for doing it, but I think it's just amazing how that kind of support you give others comes back. And I think more than what you give, mm-hmm. really. I, I have found that that has always been true. And just trying to be a good advisor to clients, small clients, big clients, um, challenging clients, <laughs> easy clients, you know, I, it it's interesting. It's one of the principles in which we operate. Like, how can we always support and, and help the people we touch, right? And sometimes that's a vendor. Sometimes it's a client. Uh, uh, I have an interesting situation right now where one of my clients uh, through the HR um, procurement process has three competitors working together. Hmm. And it's been fascinating to go into that process and to just ensure that we all keep an openness and an inclusivity 
uh, has been a challenge sometimes, but it has really ended up creating a situation where the it's the best thing for the client and we are expanding our own horizons as a result. Right. So because you see, you'll, yeah, you'll, I have a client, it's, it's, it's a weird situation actually. Um, but my, my little sister is a marketing person. She's 20. Oh God, four, I think. Ooh, I hope I got that right. <laughs> and, uh, she is now a uh, marketing client administrator, client uh, services rep. She's the, she's the account manager. That's the words for a, uh, a SEO company in town. And the company is kind of trying out, uh, her client company is trying out the company that she's working for. And so they've given them, you know, a budget and six months or three months or something and like, Hey, go forth. But they're trying, they're trialing like four other companies at the same time. It's a big client. And they're like, we're going to hire four marketing companies, give them each a budget and y'all just go run wild and we'll pick the one we like the most. That's a rough situation yes. uh, because yes. it's, because just like HR marketing is one of those, it kind of needs to have a throughput, right? It needs to coordinate and be, you can't just go out at it alone. And, and we were talking about that. Some of the weirdest stuff is that is, is, is she's finding a ton of value in working with her competitors. It's like, this is really interesting stuff. Uh, you get to see a lot more than you normally do. And, uh, and yeah. I think it's really interesting from a point of view of finding out what your unique offering is for that particular client. Cause it actually might be that the best solution for that client is all four companies stay involved as collaborators, but bring different unique strengths to the table. And that, exactly. that takes Spoken quite- like a true HR person right there. We could all be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, you know, what's so interesting, like this competitive mindset is really challenging both internally and externally. And yet we all have it because most of us were nurtured in that kind of an environment. And to really do your best work. And I guess because I'm all about passion, right? And and I find that people end up taking on work that is not meaningful to them. And so they never can get to that point of passion, right? But if you really find your sweet spot and really do the work that's most meaningful to you, your level of fulfillment will be exponential. And um, sometimes it means saying no to work maybe that you've always done or saying no to mm. a part of a contract that is really lucrative. So that that can be challenging in another way, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and on that, I mean, I believe the number is something like 60%. 60% of the workforce is completely unengaged, right? They don't, uh, much less passionate. They're barely alive when they're at their desk. Why do you think that is? And is there something that we could do about it from your 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 world? What do you think it is that we can really move the needle on that with? Well, th that number is a little bit leading. Um, it is one uh, source of information on engagement, which kind of puts engagement mm -hmm. into an all or nothing bucket. Um, but what what we have is a much more nuanced model where we have eight different states of engagement that we've been able to identify. But to your point, however, um, if we look at some of the states that are a little bit more challenging, you know, like where meaning's not very high and there's not a high sense of progress, you get a solid 25% uh, of, of people within organizations that are really struggling, you know, 
That really does sound more right. Because, you know, those are those headliners, those like 60% yeah. of, and you look in your organization, we, we both run companies, but we work inside other people's organizations. That number's high, but still 25%, one in four are just not really going anywhere or not really feeling like they're doing much. That sounds, that sounds very... Yeah. And it varies a little bit. Like when we do, we find in Singapore, it's a solid 25, um, sometimes in North America, but again, North America is huge, depending on what part of North America it can be a little lower. But yeah, I think 25 is sort of a reliable number. And, and the other piece that's really interesting when you look at our research, which we've been doing for like 20 years. So this is really robust research. There's a state of engagement that we actually call neutral, where people are negative, but they're not bringing positive energy into the organization either. And that's somewhere around 35%. So those numbers often get brought together um, to give you like the big number, but actually neutral's not bad. You know, the headlines, as you say, make it all sound so grim, (laughs) but what it is, is a real opportunity to take people who are looking for something a little more, looking for a little more challenge, looking for a little more meaning and, and, and looking to feel like they're making a difference in what they do. And you can pretty easily, if you have the right strategies, move those people into, you know, a more positive state of engagement. And people want to be engaged, you know, it's, it's, uh, if they're not, it's simply because they don't know how to be, they haven't figured that out. And sometimes managers in the organizations don't know how to help. So there's a lot of hope. We've worked with organizations who started off at that solid 25 with, you know, 30, 30% in neutral or more, you know, like half the organization. And we've gotten them to the point where it flipped so that um, they were down to like 5% of truly disengaged uh, with about, you know, 15 to 20% in neutral and everyone else in these positive states that we call energized, engaged, passionate. Um, So there's a lot you can do. um, And that's been the part that's been so fantastic about the research that we've done is that it comes down to a pretty simple formula. Uh, I, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, Yeah. Well, if it's a, I mean, I know we don't, I'm, it's, this is obviously a, a large body of work, but for our listeners, what can you give us maybe that's, that's uh, the formula or the shortcut that, I mean, I know there's no <laughs> one sentence. Well, if you just put smiley faces on everyone's desk, they'll feel great. But uh, what would you say is maybe a, a nugget of wisdom that you'd be willing to share with us that, that maybe our smaller businesses out there could go and implement quickly on their own? Or are larger businesses that could get their brain turning around a uh, uh, an idea or a concept that could, that could help? Them? Well, the key things to remember is to get to the point of passion at work, you need two things. You need to see your work as highly meaningful, and you have to have a sense of high progress, that you're getting somewhere against those things that are meaningful to you. So the formula is meaning times progress. And you need both. Meaning alone is not enough. You also need a sense of forward movement, impact, making a difference, however you define progress. So that is the lens in which everyone needs to think about their work, right? Before we get into the, yeah. Meaning. Yeah. Progress. And then there, then yeah, there exactly. are tactics. So that's the, the overall strategy. And then there are tactics to try and move some of those, uh, uh, provide meaningful work or give them a sense of progress. Some of which are probably large structural changes. Some are hopefully uh, a bit easier to, to implement, but 
Okay, so the idea is evaluate. Do you have to evaluate the person or do you evaluate each job position? Or how do you uh, look at this inside an organization? Yeah. Say, is this meaningful? Or yeah, that's a really progress? good question. Uh, so the reality is that it has to start within the individual. That's just how it works because passion's an emotion. So what we find is that the individual needs to do some reflection. We can give tips and we can talk about that as well around how do I identify what's most meaningful to me? How do I know what kind of progress I'm looking for? And once they've had that insight, then they know how to self-manage their passion. Now, managers, organizations, we can support individuals. We can create these shared uh, experiences that say what's meaningful and celebrate the progress we're making. But at the end of the day, each person needs to know what that is for themselves. Um, Because at the end of the day, no one can make you passionate. It has to come from within. So it's very subjective. You can work on the same team. We can work with a group of people who are doing exactly the same job just to come back to your question, right? And they can have very different levels of engagement, even though they're doing the same job, because what drives meaning for me could be very different than what drives meaning for you. And what I can celebrate as progress may not feel like that to you. So it is down to the individual, uh, at least, you know, as a ultimately as where it should sit. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you say? So, and I'm sure you have an in-depth strategy to to do this inside a company, but for those out there, and they, I, I always think I'm a I'm a contrarian at heart. I try not to be, but I I am. So, let's say we have a business that's, I don't know, I'm try, I don't want to pick a business and, and and single them out as something bad. But let's say you're a tire change shop, you change tires, you change oil. There you go. You've got five locations, you know, fifty employees, and you know, it's a, it's, it's work. It comes in every day. You ask people, all right, guys, there's progress. We're growing the company, but do you find your work meaningful? And they go, no, I've always wanted to play with animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian, but instead I change oil. I find no meaning in this. Is that, is that something that occurs or how do how do you structure this so that you don't wind up with people going, I always wanted to be Bob Ross. I love painting. Oh my gosh. So that's so uh, interesting. So that can occur. That sometimes happens. But what we find more often than not is that people have made decisions in terms of the career they're in for reasons that are authentic to them. And there was something that attracted them to that. So let's just use that example. Um, I actually come from a family of mechanics. It's sort of funny that you ask that scenario, right? So, you know, my uh, father loved to tinker with cars. I mean, he did that as a kid. He did that in his teenage years. Uh, he would he would uh, buy these old jalopies and fix them up and then sell them for five times the price, right? And so that was really a place for him where he was very passionate. He was mechanically inclined. He loved taking something that was broken and he loved the end result of making it work well again. And that for him was was authentic. Now, my uncle ended up going to this big machine shop and ended up being like streamlined. And all he did was change oil every day. 
well. That became a huge blocker to his passion because, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't able to tinker and to uh, really apply his broad knowledge. He was just like an assembly line doing oil changes all the time, all the time. And and of course, from a business owner perspective, we're encouraged a lot of times in the traditional literature down to the assembly line, the Ford method, right? It's like specialize, specialize, and be able to put someone in such a simple job that they can't screw it up so that you can scale and grow, have standard operating procedures, never let people go outside the line. I mean, that's not, of course, not everyone says that, but that's very much kind of business 101. So do you think that 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 structure can lead to a block or, or, you know, a a lot of times leads to a a business structure that that hurts passion? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, what we know is that everyone has um, a different view of what is quote unquote routine work, right? Everyone has a different definition of that. Um, And everyone has a different level of tolerance Mm -hmm. for that. So this is the subjectivity piece. So for for one person, it might be they're quite happy to change oil 50% of the day, but they need for the rest of the time more variety or they need to challenge themselves in a different way. So it's everyone has their own different view of that. But what we have found is First of all, those jobs are coming out of the industrial revolution, and it's really not how people truly want to work anymore. And so that's been a real challenge in some sectors, of course, to try to rethink that. But I, I grew up um, when in a company that also had a lot of assembly line type of structures. And I say grew up because it was such an amazing thing to watch as a very, very young manager. Like, how does this get, how how does this actually work? And what we learned is, although it was an assembly line and people had to do certain things in a very by rote way, how we engaged them as human beings became what was critical. So for example, we got them involved in quality assurance. We got them involved in thinking through how to make the assembly line better. We had team huddles. Uh, we pulled people off the assembly lines and had them work on special projects. So although we were restricted, that was a constraint we had with the plant, was to keep people working on those assembly lines, we could then activate these other drivers of engagement uh, outside of that space. Um, and it worked really well, uh, really, really well. That makes me think. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a lot of, and this just comes from our industry, a lot, one of our main referral sources is CPAs. And uh, I don't know exactly when this episode will air, probably well before April 15th uh, tax time, but they are often, you know, a high level CPA may be involved in engagement in terms of, you know, overall client uh, advice and tax planning and I don't know, profit planning, CFO work. There's a lot of pieces in the CPA world, but many people, especially this time of year, they're on that assembly line. Where are your documents? I'm making the tax return. You know, and they go through, you know, they spend four to eight hours per return and they're doing, you know, 500 of them between now and April 15th. That's a hard thing to find. You can find skill in it, but gosh, it, it would seem like that would preclude 
Well, so this is so fantastic. I'm so happy you raised that question (laughs) because I was just telling a story last week. One of our very, very, very first clients, so this is going back a long time, um, we were holding a public workshop. And so she attended and it was just after tax season. And so what the situation you're describing is exactly what she had just lived through. (laughs) And if you think back to our formula of meaning and progress, what she told me has always stuck with me. And she was drawn to the profession because she really does love to work with numbers. She gets very uh, a sense of satisfaction when she's able to you know, balance her books. And there's a lot in that, that for her is personally meaningful. But tax season is not something that a lot of people look forward to. So the store staples has this little button that if you hit it, says that was easy. And so she purchased one because she wanted to get a better sense of progress because it just felt like a slog, these 500 files that had to be sent in according to certain deadlines. And the slog was dragging her down. So she put this easy button by her computer. And every time she sent a file off, she hit the button. That was easy. And it celebrated every piece of work she successfully completed, even though she had to immediately then go to the next one. That moment of celebration and upliftedness just kept her going and uh, helped her enjoyment of her job significantly during, you know, a traditionally very stressful time. So it was her way of managing celebration and progress as she was slogging through tax season, which is a perfect example of how you maintain passion in tough times. That makes a lot of sense. My wife and I are are very different people, but we started this company together a little over 10 years ago now, and it works very well. I'm a, I'm a, um, well, I came from a background of sales. I like to go out and meet people and talk with people. And I like complex problems. And if you ask me to do the same thing the same way, more than like three times, I'm ready to just, <laughs> yeah, let's let's sell the business and move on. I can't handle it. I'm a very, uh, uh, I, I just like things different every time. I never, re- I never, I, I haven't rewatched a movie since I was like 13. I already know the ending. Um, she, however... She loves the feeling of crossing a thing off the list. So we learned early on that one of the ways to make sure she feels like, and this goes to that progress idea, you put such good words to this. um, She always scopes her work uh, very well. She always goes, look, here's what I have. Here's my, here's the things I need to accomplish. And at first I thought it was a matter of keeping organized, but it's, it is to a degree, but Bigger than that, I think it's the feeling that she gets by laying the project out or the 20 projects out and then being able to mark those milestones along the way. (laughs) It's like a video game. She's like, yes, just one more. I'm going to get one more done. I can't, you know, I got to close that one out. And, and that, that you're exactly right. That's a passion. That's a, uh, that can be applied to any sort of work, the ability to uh, make progress 
Very interesting. A, a very good way of thinking about things. Yeah, it's really important because I think in in not just the literature, but just for those of us who have been in the workforce for a number of years or even decades, meaning has gotten a lot of attention. You know, where do you find the meaning in your work? And I and I think rightly so, by the way. However, the piece that we were able to uncover through our research was the importance of progress, that sense of progress. That's as important. And it's just not very prominent in the literature or in practice. So one of the things we do with our clients, and you can do this on a personal level, at a team level, or across the organization is, yes, let's review the kind of things that help people feel a sense of meaning in this organization. You know, your vision statement, mission statement, values. Um, Of course, they have to be authentic. They have to be lived and demonstrated, of course. But we've spent a lot of time thinking about how to make work more meaningful for people. But what we haven't done, apart from maybe key performance indicators, um, is to really look at what gives people a sense of progress. And your spouse is a great example of our organizations cater a little bit more to people who are good at setting milestones and are good at measurement in kind of an objective way that our organizations are more geared toward that. But what about someone like you <laughs> who is maybe not so much? Started to the ground, tradition- started the company. That's all I can. That's, that's my only <laughs> offer. I'm unemployable. <laughs> but maybe maybe not. Said, how, do, how, do we, how do we utilize that? I hope, well, I hope you have a better answer because mine's not. <laughs> nope. Well, it's a partially, it's about helping people discover what are your signals of progress. You know, so for, for example, I just interviewed a bunch of millennials around progress, and it was really interesting to hear how they mark progress. Because we, we might think that a lot of it is around, you know, I got, I got a raise, I got a promotion, you know, that, that sort of thing. But it can be simply gaining more responsibility, but not in a traditional hierarchical way. It could be, you know, you're allowed to lead an account. It could be given more autonomy. It could be uh, an opportunity for growth, uh, for participation in a special career development program. So there's lots of ways that people kind of measure progress. Uh, For some people, it's the quality of their relationships. It's not mm-hmm. even something that is easy to measure. It's, but they still know if they've evolved a relationship with a client, they know it. They know it because the client reaches out to them for advice. That's a signal of progress. The client's reaching out to me for advice. So there's w- loads of ways to measure progress. It's just something that we often don't think about. So we miss it. And it can be a little bit discouraging if we feel like we're not getting the signals of progress we're looking for. Right. They may be there. We might just be biased, you know, in terms of which ones we're, we're noticing. Absolutely. Well, and in my own organization, I've, I've heard this. This is one of those things that, that we've had, you know, we're growing, uh, but in a small business, you know, we're, we've, we've doubled and doubled and doubled, which is great, but that also isn't that huge. There's not a huge line of jobs you can go to, right? It's like, we have maybe six positions. uh, We have like two managers. It's hard to think about growing uh, on the hierarchy, at least for everybody, not everybody in the whole organization can be a manager today. Um, Now in another couple, couple years, as we continue to grow, maybe there will be more and more opportunities for that. But one thing we've often pushed back is is gotten is I feel like I've got this. It's never ending, right? It's that feeling of I'm doing this work 
I'm going to clean, I'm going to close it. I'm excited about this thing, but next week I'm going to be doing the, the same thing. I'm going to have that same pressure again. So one of the things in terms of maybe three tips I could leave your readers, because we have, mm-hmm. and your listeners, we have so much data, but it's shocking to me how, regardless of the country we're operating in, regardless of the sector, there are three critical drivers that are not leveraged the way they could be in organizations. And one of them is feedback. And it's interesting because that's been like a super hot topic for a very long time. Right, but. Right. It's still not happening nearly enough that people need ongoing feedback, completion of feedback loops to really understand, am I on track? Am I off track? Am I being appreciated for the work and effort I am doing? Like your sense of progress is dramatically supported through feedback. Plus, it also reinforces meaning because it keeps telling you this is meaningful. This is what we have to be focused on. So Feedback, you can't almost overdo feedback. And that is something that sometimes is a real challenge. But if you really want to support passion um, in your workplace, really looking at feedback loops that aren't just reliant on a manager, but are, are they can be self-directed, they can be peer-directed. Um, it's a really, really critical piece that uh, everyone knows it's important, but our research says it's like uber important. <laughs> and I like that. The feedback is the way that you know, A, whether you're making it. It's it's a way of creating progress. You need a way of understanding that and also focusing in by saying, hey, this is important. I need you to do better at this or you're doing great at this. Here's a the next step, that feedback loop. It's like <clears throat> if you're pulling a string, uh, if your job is to, is, to, is to lift a weight, that kind of thing, and you can't see what it's actually moving, if you can't see that that result, you have no feedback on it. It will rapidly become absolutely engaging. But with feedback, that's a great point. Okay, feedback. I got that highlighted. That's going right. That's going as the quote on the on yeah. The, no, on the it's a title. really, really it. important piece. And then um, linked to that, like really closely linked to that, is the ability to and the practice. Not just everyone has the ability, but people don't create a practice at a celebration. And it's funny, but people even get squirmy around celebration, almost like it's a bad word in the workplace. When I talk to organizations and managers about how critical it is, celebrating is the key differentiator between people who are truly passionate and people who are not not even just not passionate. I mean, it's the differentiator between people who are in various states of engagement. So it's one of the things that with my clients, I never let them off the hook, even though people <laughs> want to be let off the hook. And and it's to really think through, what does celebration look like here? You know, people sometimes instantly think of big parties, right? Let's have a big social gathering. Let's have a big party. But celebration can also be really quiet and and intimate. And it's an acknowledgement that, yeah, we just did something that mattered. We pulled something off. It can be a small win. It can be the end of a big project. But it deserves to be acknowledged and uplifted. And to be able to do that in ways that 
function at the individual level, not just at, you know, the organizational level. It's the one differentiator around passion at work. I can't emphasize how important celebration is to really sustain and create if you don't have it, your passion at work. It's really, really important. And, and the work is figuring out what it looks like for you personally, and then for your team and for your organization, because it can, it can look very differently. It's going to depend on what is suitable for you. The accountant who was hitting that easy button, that was easy. That's a form of celebration, right? Um, Someone was just telling me that when they close a deal, they like to stand up at their desk and do a little dance. And that's a celebration, (laughs) you know, at a very personal, intimate level. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, like this big party, but it's still a celebration. Very interesting. Okay. I I love that. And I know, I know that's a thing that a lot of especially small businesses, I think, that, that work in a, in a constant stream of work, I think that could be a huge game changer for them. Oh, you are, I mean, you are right. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, what you said, I'd like to underscore, because I think in so many industries now and so many uh, jobs that we're just trying to keep up with everything. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you get something done and you just move on to the next thing. You're you're not really taking even a moment, right? <laughs> to right, right? <laughs> to kind of go, you know, that was actually pretty cool. I got that done, and you know, this is this is the difference it made to the company. This is the difference it made to me. This is what I learned from it. Um, this is the skill I gained. Whatever it is, you know, like whatever the progress is, we we do we do not take enough time, and it doesn't have to be hours that's the thing about celebration it literally can be a few seconds but to just to make it a practice so that you really you know at the end of each day acknowledge the progress you made or the end of each week and uh, one of the things we do with our teams is we build it into their meeting agendas you know what kind of progress are we going to celebrate and and even if there's been a disappointment how do we make that into a learning you know, that idea of failing forward, I suppose. But how do we really ensure that even in our disappointments, we make sure we can frame them for progress, right? Meaningful progress, not just uh, let's say it is, but we don't feel it is. How do we really see this failure or this disappointment as a way of learning something to take us forward? Because um, it's that forward orientation is what's going to sustain passion. Because that's the progress. That's piece. the progress exactly. piece, and that's the part that the, just doesn't get worked enough. Um, no, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, and, and this happens in all of my best interviews. I'm going, gosh, I need this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that we don't have anything, but this is an amazing place to move the needle. It's an amazing when you're place. thinking how do we move the needle. This is a, this is a way to do it. You said there were three things. We've covered feedback and celebration. What else do you think? What's the other big? Well. Piece? One that um, comes up an awful lot, and you have kind of referenced it a few times and kind of referring to traditional management. And this one is um, part of what we would consider to be autonomy. Um, And it's to really look at things from a personal accountability point of view, to really understand 
um, at an individual level, and of course it scales up, but to understand at an individual level, just how important it is for you to feel you are able to make decisions about your, the way your work gets done. So even going back to the assembly line, you know, decisions are made for the assembly line, but if I have a mechanism you know, to input, if I'm able to be part of a team that discusses problems and how to uh, overcome or improve things, then even if ultimately the decision isn't mine, I'm still part of that decision-making process in a way that's real and authentic, right? And so it doesn't have to be consensus, because that often sometimes people misunderstand that. But it's feeling like my opinion matters, my experience matters, and that I'm consulted on things that are going to, especially things that are going to impact me ultimately. And that mm -hmm. becomes both something that supports meaning and progress, right? Um, it's meaningful to be asked your opinion, Mm -hmm. um, providing it's authentic, <laughs> right? And um, and when you see decisions get implemented, even if it doesn't go your way, if you feel you were part of a meaningful process, then that's going to feel like progress to you. So that can be really challenging in organizations. Mm -hmm. I think smaller teams, it's a little easier, right? Right, um, right, yeah. Right? Please, take over. Whatever you, <laughs> you think you can do it, go for it, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, and there's, there's, a, there's a counter to, there's a piece of that that I always that this is, a, this is a personal experience, but, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Liz and I, my wife and I started the company together and we've worked as a team directly. And uh, a lot of, a lot of the things we do, we also tried to make little mini teams to handle. And I got some feedback. Um, I don't know, this was a few years ago, but it changed the way we structured a lot of things because while let's call them group projects to go back to the old, you know, yes. like, you know, while those have a, an amazing and an important place in work, autonomy means not just that you are um, uh, able to direct your work, but it also means that you're responsible for your work, which means you get the win. Yes. And one of the things we got back with our CSRs sometimes was that they, we were talking about that kind of never end extreme of work, but they feel like they never got a win, especially those in like tier two or three who are always dealing with the most complex problems. The, their, their best, by the time the client gets to them, they're upset. By the time this, this is a role of triage and uh, they're already bleeding and our win is they're no longer bleeding, right? But it doesn't feel like a win sometimes, especially because it takes a lot of different moving parts. It doesn't, as, as one of them put it, it's like, we work really hard and we know in the end it works out, you know, it, it works out and we're good, but I never feel like I won. I feel like my, my best case scenario is that no one's angry anymore. It doesn't feel like a win. Right. And uh, I think, and, and one, and, and when we actually change that to more a one-on-one, -on -one, a less team-based approach, um, the, the individual was able to say, Hey, not only was I, I was able to come up with something here. I was able to fix this. And at the end, they they're 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 they feel like they did it. So autonomy isn't just the ability to do things; it's the ability to be responsible for the win or the loss. Okay, so this is so brilliant because that is exactly why our measures when we we have a survey that goes with the measure of passion and in the workplace and within you, our questions under autonomy are all I questions. 
And we know from our research that I need to connect action that I take to the progress piece. It it can't I can be happy for my team that, you know, we won an account, say. But I need to, in order to be passionate, to have taken the action myself and had the impact that I was looking for with that action, right? You, we take action because we're expecting a certain result from the action. I, there needs to be a direct line in order for me to really feel that emotion of passion. So what you're describing, I see 100% in our data and working with clients. Jacqueline, you are uh, awesome conversationalist, and I'm so intrigued by what you do. We could talk for hours, but we're coming up on the 48 minutes of just going through this stuff. And I, I hope that our our listeners have stuck with us. Uh, but I found this riveting. Uh, I got to ask, where can our people find you, and when? What would be the trigger if someone's listening? I mean, and again, you have you have five man nonprofits listening, and also you know three thousand man. HR, CFO, uh, director of HR, CPOs listening, who should reach out to you and what should be the triggering event that's like, okay, all right, I need to call up Jacqueline. Uh, her company is going to, it would be an amazing fit. Well, we're all about generating passion in the workplace so people can feel the difference in their productivity and ultimately the performance. So if you know that you have all this untapped energy in your organization, even if it is five people or 3,000 people, um, we can help you figure out what levers to pull to unleash that energy, to get you that productivity and performance you're looking for. And we have an automated system. So no one's too small and no one's too big. So it really, we can, we can size up regardless. So sparkengagementindex.com is how you find us. And uh, I can also provide some other links to some of our social media. They'll be in the description down below. If you're listening on iTunes or uh, Google Play, you may need to go to peopleprocesses.com. This will be the uh, episode on the homepage. So you can take a listen there. If you're listening a little later on, just go up to the podcast button and uh, look for the Spark Engagement podcast. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time. I found, uh, I, I think this was an amazingly worthwhile conversation uh, and I wish you great luck in your future endeavors. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a sure, uh, a, a sure pleasure, really. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. I hope you had a wonderful time. I hope you learned a ton. Reach out at sparkengagementindex.com. Make sure to subscribe. And on social media, post any questions or feedback along the way. If you felt like, hey, you know what? This is really interesting, but I have these burning questions. Feel free to ask about them on social media. Uh, it may be something we pass on and, and uh, have Jacqueline's team reach back out to you, or maybe we can help you figure it out ourselves. Uh, connect with us at uh, Twitter and Facebook, LinkedIn. We're all on there. We'd love to hear from you. Now it's time for you to go out there. Have a great day and get your work done. Thanks for tuning in.